All right, I want you to grab your Bibles and make your way over to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We've been exploring some of the most famous yet least obeyed sayings of Jesus Christ through our series called, Did He Really Say That? These are revolutionary sayings and, and things that were countercultural to the people who heard it. And honestly, these things are still a little challenging to this very day. So I want you to grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Go ahead, turn your Bibles there. I want you to see these words on the pages of your Bible, on the screen of your phone, however it is that you engage with the Bible nowadays. And as you find this text, I want to be honest with you. Can I be honest? All right. I heard that you're supposed to be honest especially in church, nobody. If I could pluck out one of the Beatitudes, it would be this one. If I could just say, can I crumple that one up and throw it in the waste paper basket, uh, this would be the one. Because when I read this, when I see this Beatitude, I, I, my immediate reaction is, nope, not possible. Nope, there, there's no way. There, there's no way. I, I'm really tempted to completely tune out Jesus' words right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, because I know how frequently I don't measure up. I, I, I know that, and I'm not going to stand here and, and, and put out a facade for all of you and say that, you know what, I got it all together. Because the reality is I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. So I see this, and I say, man, I don't, I, I, no, Jesus, really? <laughs> this one? I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in this room that can relate with me, but I don't know. I'm looking around. I see a lot of holy people, so I might be the only one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, this is what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Nope. Man, that, that's not me. I suspect that, you know, no offense, no offense, please drop your stones. I suspect that some of you are saying, nope, that's not me either. You know, I've, 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 I've prayed with y'all. I've prayed with many of you. We've counseled, all right? Let's just be, I, I don't know all of you. You know, some of you are new to the church. We haven't had this opportunity yet. But I, I you know what? I, I see this and I say, ah. Nope. But before you, you tune this all out and, and you kind of hop on my bandwagon here as I immediately react to the scripture, let's consider something. Could it be that we are just very easy and, and ready to, to toss out this scripture because we're under a false assumption that's driving us to feel this way? And that assumption is this. Maybe many of us take pure in heart to mean sinless perfection, sinless purity, as if we can get to this place in this state where we are pure and we no longer go on sinning. Maybe, maybe you might not say that expressly, but how many of us have like, wondered and thought and wrestled and tried and worked hard and put in all this effort so that we can somehow, some way, get to this place where we're just skipping through the meadows, no sin, no issue. 
Is this what Jesus is talking about? He, he speaks up, and I can imagine some of the Pharisees, especially around him and the scribes and the religious rulers, when he is hearing the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and now he gets to blessed are the pure in heart. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, this rabbi has got a few screws loose. This rabbi is, is really, man, he did not study the Torah. He, he forgot to memorize the Old Testament. What happened when he got to Exodus and he saw Moses? For the very, let's take the last part of what he's saying, that they will see God. Hey, hello, brother. Uh, nobody will see God and live. So number one, that's impossible. But then number two, I don't know if they, they were really being honest in that moment, but I can guarantee you that some of them have looked around at the activity of their lives and they saw the inner nature of their own hearts and they scoffed when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Because the word, doesn't it say that, you know, the heart is deceitful above all else. Proverbs says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. And, and, and there's this issue all throughout the Old Testament when it comes to this thing right here called the heart. Not the organ, but the seed of our identity, the essence of our nature, that which drives us and compels us. They knew that this thing is broken. So now Jesus shows up on the scene, nevertheless, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Friends, this cannot be what Jesus is talking about. Because if it is what he's talking about, sinless perfection, sinless purity, then what do we do with other scriptures in the Bible that talks about how, you know, if you say that you are without sin, then, then what are you doing? You're lying. You're deceiving yourself. How is it that we can reconcile these things? It's not this. Jesus is not saying, blessed, you know, are those who are, pure in perfection, never having sin again. Because if, if that was the case, then how could he have started the Beatitudes with blessed are the poor in spirit? For our week one of this series, we were talking about and establishing in our minds that we, because of our sin nature, are utterly bankrupt. We are completely hopeless. We are completely broken because of sin. We have all come to it. We talked about, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because there is this brokenness within us. God is restoring righteousness to us. We, there is not one who is righteous in the words of the Apostle Paul. So it can't be what Jesus is talking about because without God stepping in with his grace, and meeting us as we are poor in spirit, without us understanding that it's his righteousness and all that stuff, we, we are not going to be able to connect and engage with God. We will never be sinless. So this is not what he's saying. So instead of us tuning out, okay, I want you to perk up. Tell your neighbor, wake up. Wake up. Because if Jesus Christ uh, was raised from the dead on that Easter Sunday, then we know for a fact that his words now carry weight. That he's not just a man sharing with us opinions. He is a man who is giving us on a platter truth revealed. And we have to respond to truth. We can't afford to say, I'm sorry. Your doctor shows up and he tells you, if you do not change your lifestyle, you will die of this disease. 
You can say to that doctor, that's all, you look awesome, you know, you got all the degrees, uh, you know what, I don't think I'm going along with what you're saying today. You know, we could agree or disagree with him, but when he is speaking facts, it doesn't matter what our emotions are all about. We either comply with the new regimen and diet, or we experience that which is waiting us. We have to respond. So let's unpack this a little bit. Maybe Jesus is getting at something else other than sinless perfection. Maybe he wants us, you know, to, to look into this scripture and really, you know, mine out some truths in it. Because I believe sincerely with all my heart, church, if we grasp the words of Christ, if we really allow those words to permeate our hearts and to take root within our lives, it will transform our future. It will redeem our present and it will tell us, forget what lies behind because I got something better and something awesome for you in store. How many of you guys want to lean into what Jesus is saying? Let's unpack this. This impossible looking text. Because I believe there's great promises here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What, what is this purity of heart that he's talking about? The initial use of the word purity, of heart, pure, is, is a word in the Bible that is used in the sense of clean. When we talk about being pure, he's talking about being clean. So you're contrasting clean with unclean. And you go through the Old Testament, you'll find this again and again. There's, there's allusions and references and inferences to clean and unclean animals. Clean and unclean, uh, you know, activities. Clean and unclean people, conditions of a person, activities that a people can engage with that would make them one or the other. Let, let me frame this like this. Instead of us thinking of this as pure perfection, what if we were to consider the image of a water purifier? How many of you guys have ever used a water purifier? Maybe you haven't had a water purifier. Anybody ever use a water filter? All right, maybe a Brita maybe one of those companies, all right? Um, you've used one of those. I, I've got this water purifier in my house, and ever since I was in Amway, I, I bought one, and I've had it, and I've updated it here and there, but it's this water purifier that, that it, through a carbon block filter, it blocks all these impurities, all these uh, you know, impurities within the water, these elements that are within the water that are actual, physical, and big, and if I were to drink it, it would you know, make me choke or whatever, or maybe it's not that big, but it blocks it through that filter. But then it also has this UV light that goes ahead and kills biological impurities. And it, and it wipes out these bacteria and viruses that might be in the water. And so when it goes through that purifier, the water comes out on the other side clean. It comes out on the other side removed from impurities, void of impurities. So when Jesus is extolling purity, what is he doing here? What is he saying? He's giving us this image that he's promoting, that he's referring to a heart that has filtered out impurities, a heart that has fil filtered out pollutants, that's filtering out things that are going to taint and ruin the heart. He knows, like we know, that there is no such thing as sinless perfection. He was the only one. 
He already knows the water, the wellspring, the well is already polluted. The impurities are already in the water. When he looks at you, he says, I already see the impurities are in the water. I already see that it's right there. So it's not about sinless perfection, but it's about is your heart filtering out the impurities and pollutants? And if, if we were to look in the scriptures, there's a, a, a passage that's parallel to what Jesus is saying here. And it's in, um, in the Psalms, chapter 24. Go to Psalms. Psalms, chapter 24. You'll find a parallel passage when Jesus is speaking about blessed are the pure in heart. I wonder if he's connecting the dots and reminding himself of what David had said back in the Psalms. This is what it says. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Did you catch that? The psalm is highlighting what it means to have a pure heart. What it means for us to prepare our hearts, to have our hearts be removed of impurities. So if, if you want a pure heart, if you want to just, you know, test yourself, if you want to, you know, look underneath the lid and take a look at, at the water and see what might be floating around in there, then consider what he's saying here. Number one, don't lift your soul to what is false. A heart that will stand in the holy place, the one who will ascend the holy hill of the Lord, is one who does not lift his soul to what is false, a.k.a. purify your heart from idols. Purify your worship. Purify your connection. Back in the Old Testament, idols were used, you know, they would take wood and, and, and metal and different types of uh, substances, and they would craft, you know, these images and tokens of these false deities and false gods. And then they would, you know, bow down to those deities and they would worship them. That's what idol worship was in the Old Testament. And while many of us Christians might say, well, Pastor Brian, that ain't me. I don't have any idol, that little token or little statue that I have in my closet, in my car, in my bathroom. I don't have any of those things that I bow down to every morning and I worship or every evening. I don't have any of these things. But hold on a second. Because idolatry is absolutely alive and well in 2023. It is absolutely thriving in this day and age. If there is anything that you are worshiping along with God, well, that's an idol. Take inventory. You might not have a little statue there, but hey, how many of us are so bowed down to our career progressions? How many of us are bowing down to our body image and the body image of others around us? How many of us are, you know, bowing down to the search for a spouse? Hello. And it's all consuming. And we want to worship at that spot. How many of us, the bank account is what we worship? How many of us, it's the popularity or the approval ratings that we may have with our peers, with our colleagues, with our families? We, we, we might not say that we have a statue, but idolatry is alive and well. We say we worship God, but maybe there are other things that we are bowing down to. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in this holy place? Those who have dealt with the issue of worship. I'm reminded of the rich, rich young ruler. This man shows up before Jesus in the New Testament. You can find his story in the, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 21 and beyond. 
He shows up before Jesus and he starts asking Jesus, hey, hey, master, hey, ruler, uh, what is it that I should do in order for me to inherit the kingdom of heaven? In order that I may be, you know, granted access to the kingdom, of, that I may make it. How many of us want to make it? I know I do. What must I do? And Jesus looks at this man and he tells him, hey, you know, you got to love your Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And then you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Jesus tells him all these things. And, and he goes, man, I've done that. Jesus, master, I've done that since I was a little wee lad. I've been doing that. I've been faithful in that. I've been true in that stuff. And I've, I've done all of that. And then Jesus looks at him. Verse 10, verse, uh, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, now listen to verse 22. This man asked Jesus, he's before the Messiah, the one who has all the answers, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he sa it says this, disheartened by the saying, he went away rejoicing. No, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His reaction, church, proves that his worship was polluted. His worship was filled with impurity because it was seek God. Yes, love God, love my neighbor. Oh, yeah, excited. But yet he's bowing down to his possessions. He's bowing down to his bank account. And all the power, prestige, and all the security that that affords him. And whatever else that keeps him not reliant upon God. And he has made an idol. He has tainted his heart. And he will not stand to see God. Friends, if there is an impurity within our hearts. If there's an impurity within our worship. Then that must be filtered out. Jesus is calling us on this beatitude. That has to be filtered out. Yes, it's about being poor in spirit. It's, there's nothing good in you, but you're going to, as you progress through these beatitudes, you're going to come to a place that you're constantly working as an outflow of the grace of God on your life, that you're working on dealing with the impurities and the idols of your heart to give your undivided attention to your God. But then look at what David says in the Psalms. Who will stand before God? Who will ascend his holy hill? It's those who don't swear deceitfully. A.K.A. those who purify their integrity. Oh, what a word nowadays. Purity is not only pure worship unto God, but also pure integrity with one another. Some of us are really focused on our vertical relationship with God. And I, I, I'm sorry to say, there will be many of us that will come to the Lord one day and he will say to us, depart from me for I never knew you. And then we'll say, why? Well, because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a cup of water. When I was in prison, you never came to visit me. And then they're going to say to Jesus, but Jesus, when were you any of those things? I never saw you hungry. I never saw you in prison or whatever. He said, well, what you do for the least of these, you do it unto me. And some of us 
the integrity that will allow us to even go out and see the need and the, the necessity within our neighbor's lives. If, if we are so consumed with ourselves and getting ahead and advancing our cause and fulfilling our plans that we will do anything and everything, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequence, so that the, the, the means will justify our end, then you know what? We are in trouble, church. What is Jesus saying here? I want you guys to have a pure heart. I want you to be honest, transparent. I want you to be open. I want you to be genuine, sincere in your interactions and truthful with your relationships. I want you not to have deceit and deception within you. What he's calling us to is honesty. Have you ever been completely upfront? Are you being completely open in your relationships? Especially those that are the closest relationships in your lives. Are you being completely open? I was talking to an acquaintance just on Friday. And we were sitting around. We, I went there to, to do something. And then we just started talking about God, which was incredible. Because this person, you know, um, I, I don't really see him living out his faith or anything like that. But, you know, he knows I'm a pastor. And so, you know, we started talking. I've said some things to him and launched some seeds. And, and now he starts asking some questions and we're talking. And as he's sharing his situation, you know, he starts unpacking a horror story in his past. See, this man, he, he, he went into business with a partner. He opened up the business. He got it registered. He opened up the bank accounts. They started investing. And so he went and he bought equipment. Then he went and bought the vehicles. He got everything insured. They, they hit the ground running, building momentum, building up a clientele. And they're doing all these things. And as the business is starting to grow, the partner completely takes advantage of this acquaintance of mine, this friend of mine. He takes advantage of the fact that this man doesn't speak English and the partner is the one who speaks English, the one who's front facing the customers, the one who's dealing with the banks and, and going through all these different things. And so this man, he sets up the business completely within his favor and he starts edging out my friend. He starts to steal money from the bank accounts and essentially he forces this man out of the business and to the point where he has to dissolve it. And when he's dissolving it, he has the audacity to say, can you leave all the documents and all the accounts and all the business registrations within your social and your name? Thankfully, the, the bank didn't allow that to happen. So you want to re-register? You want to keep everything? Whatever, we can do this, but it's going to be in your new name. Well, I have no credit. He stole my credit. Dude, you, you've been skimming off the top of this. You have been completely dishonest. You have not been open and transparent. You have been full of deceit within you, and you want to get ahead? Man, I heard that story, and I, I was, I'm like, wow, my heart breaks for you for that happening. But you know, in, in, in the midst of him being left with an insurmountable debt, God has blessed him and he opened up doors and he's worked things out. And I'm like, look, this is testimony of God's faithfulness. This is a testimony of God giving you a grace and helping you through. You need to praise him for it. You need to press into God and say thank you. You need to be, you know, seeking him because he is the one that can protect you and guide you and deliver you. And he wants to give you life and life abundantly here and in the future. Oh, yeah, 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 God did this because, you know what, I, I believe in him. It's like he's asking for more. Purity of heart means that we've filtered out dishonesty in our interactions, church. Is that you this morning? And when I say you, I'm, I'm pointing the finger to me. Have I distilled, purified, removed, filtered out dishonesty? Or am I playing games with people? Are we playing games with people? 
Are we thinking that we're going to get ahead by not being 100% truthful? We may for a season, but it will find us out. Before we jump into some application today and just spend some time in communion, I want to just bring to your attention, I want to paint you a picture of what the promise of this saying is. Because Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And then he gives us a blessing and he gives us a promise like he's been doing all throughout the Beatitudes. And this one is this, you will see God. How many of you want to see him? I want to see him. Like, you know what? There are days that I don't want to see him. Like the moment that I know I failed for the upteenth time after I've promised him that I wouldn't. I don't want to see him in that moment. I want to be like Adam and Eve and I want to go over there and, and sow fig leaves and put that on and, and hide from God. Man, just just wild side note, how, how silly are we? You know, if you stop and think about this, Adam was sowing a fig leaf to hide his shame from God because he did not want to be seen by God. He did not want to see God because that would infer that God would see him in return. So he sows fig leaves. How idiotic is that? Have you ever seen a fig leaf? Dude should have picked a banana plant or something. That would have been a lot easier. A fig leaf. Ooh. Imagine trying to sow all that and like keep every aspect of you covered. Not only that, uh, someone mentioned, I don't forget who it was, but you know, uh, go check it out. Supposedly, there, there is this uh, chemical within fig plants that actually causes rashes on human skin. Genius. Genius. So there are moments that I don't want to see God, absolutely, in those moments. But friend, let me remind you, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He knows the waters are tainted. He knows that we're faulty and that we're sinful and that we have a sin nature. And the Bible tells us that we will never depart from this sin nature until the day that we are translated into glory. Whether that comes through death or through Jesus returning and rapturing his church. Till the very last breath on earth, you will have an issue with sin. Yay, I can sin then. No, that's not what I'm saying. But he knows this. But look, he says, you will see God. I want to see him. What does this mean? What is he alluding to? You will see God. I think the first thing that is beautiful within this promise is that we are permitted into the presence of God. We are going to be permitted into God's presence. There's this passage in the Old Testament, Exodus, when Moses is being used by God to, to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He calls upon Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, no, 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 back and forth, back and forth, no. And he does not allow it. There comes a point by the ninth plague when God sends the darkness over all the land. There comes a point right here, Exodus chapter 10. Pharaoh bursts out and says to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Does he mean, I don't want you to lay eyes on my profile picture. Don't, don't you look around Egypt and see my face on the billboards. I don't want you to see me, even if you spot me from a distance at an event. I don't want you to ever put your eyes on me. Is that what he's saying? No, what he's saying to, to Moses is, from now on, you will be denied access into my presence. You better not show up within my vicinity. 
you better not be within my throne room because if you do, I'm so mad at you, I'm so peed at you that I'm going to kill you. Wow, that's, that's encouraging, Pastor Brian. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll get to see God. Woo! But what is this? If we're not pure in heart, if we're not filtering out our worship, if we're not filtering out this honesty within our relationships, then we will not be granted access into the presence of God. This is a future promise that also has a reflection here in the natural and in the present. But if we are constantly not being changed and transformed, realizing that we are poor in spirit, not mourning our sins, not seeking to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not being meek, our strength and our power under control. If we are not submitting to all these beatitudes that came before us, that are free gifts of grace from God, then we will not have the privilege to one day stand before his presence. He'll say to us, get away. Get away. Man, that, 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 when I read scriptures about Jesus separating the lambs and the goats, when Jesus is separating the righteous and the unrighteous, when he is cutting off the vine and, and, and all those that don't bear fruit, he's throwing into the fire. Man, those things scare the daylights out of me. Because I don't want to be one of those that get cast away. Because that means eternity in punishment and there is no hope and there will be no reprieve. I plead with you, choose purity that you may stand before his presence. And, and there's an aspect, we'll get to this in, the third, in, 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 in a second, but there is an aspect of right now. So some of you are saying, well, I'll get to see God one day. All right, awesome, amen, great. That's really not motivating. Well, it should. It should be. But just in case it isn't, if we become pure in heart and we weed out worship of idols, weed out deception and dishonesty with our fellow man, then we also get to see God in the sense that we are captivated by his glory. We get to be captivated by his glory. Consider Job. Consider Isaiah. Consider Ezekiel. Consider all these mighty, Jacob. Consider all these people in the Old Testament that when they encountered God, they were enthralled. They were awestruck. They were captivated by the glory and holiness of God. When they caught a glimpse of him, look at what Job says. I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Why? Because I see your glory and how far above it is from my sinfulness. And I am just enthralled and captivated by who you are. He gets to see the beauty of what God is and who he is. Every time we see people encountering the theophanies of Christ, the, the, the present, you know, God showing up in human form before he showed up, you know, in the New Testament, they would fall down and they would worship. They would bow down because of the glory of God. They would see his beauty. They would see his splendor. It's like, you know, the, the three apostles who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They fell down because he was so bright and beautiful. You get to see the beauty of God in your life. If you work out this pure heart situation, you're going to get to look around your life and the circumstances and the blessings and the things that God is bringing into your life. And you will see the beauty in his design. You'll see the beauty in what he prepared. 
you will see the, the wonderful names of God that we were singing earlier, how he is Jaira provider, how he is Rapha, and he so beautifully healed in this moment and circumstance, how he is our banner Nisi. We'll see all of these different things, how he is Adonai, the all-powerful, almighty one. We'll get to see the beauty of God when we work out the purity of our hearts. Today, we see the images and reflections of God's glory, you know, just dimly, just as reflections. But church, there's coming a day, read Revelations, there's coming a day when there will be no sun. And all that there will be is the glory and the light of Christ. And that will be able to light all of eternity and all of heaven and earth. And all of everything will be caught up and underneath the glory and brilliance and beauty of God. But there is blessing here today. There's blessing today. Turn to your name and say, there's blessing today. We might see a reflection, but if you work out the purity... If you worship God instead of bowing down to other things, you'll get to see his design and what he is bringing into your life. For instance, some of us, we, we think about this aspect that, you know what, oh, we're not being tainted. We're not being, cons- there, there's no pollution really that's impacting us when we, for instance, you know, dabble in pornography. Let, let, me, let me just jump into this one for a second because I think this is a beautiful picture of, of the reality of what Jesus is getting at here. That, you know what, we, we look at porn and we say, you know what, maybe it's not really tainting me. It's, it's not really distorting anything. You know what, it, it's okay. But the reality is everything that is perverse, it affects the mind. And nothing that we see with our minds, with our eyes, nothing that we experience with our hands will ever be a right. Oh, no, it's pastor, but you know what? It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anything. Well, besides the fact that you're perpetuating an industry that abuses and spits out people, that people are, you know, being medicated and on drugs while they're performing, that people are committing suicide because of it. People are feeling bound up and you are perpetuating this. Well, you are hurting somebody, but let me tell you this. You are hurting yourself. You are hurting your future prospects of marriage. You are hurt. If you uh, desire to be married or if you are currently married, you are polluting your life, home, and marriage. Why? Because, you know what, uh, pornography, it distorts reality. It puts you on this path where you're now chasing some producer's idea of pleasure and fulfillment. And you're left performing. You're left there trying to chase after something that has nothing to do with what your spouse actually might enjoy. And it crowds out communication, learning, responding to your partner. Because instead, all you're doing is worried about a performance. And then, let me tell you, church, nobody, okay, no person can perform and can live up to the the, the beauty, ethics, and, and standards of the porn industry, okay, or the, you know, stamina level of those who are in the industry that are hopped up on drugs while they're performing, and the level of, you know, what satisfaction that is promoted, it's all a sham. But no, it's not hurting anybody. Yes, it is. It's hurting you because it's putting you in this place where now you're perpetuating deception. And maybe you're, you know, how many of us will show up to church and say, yeah, you know, guys, I had the best time this week and I saw the best award-winning porn show that, that you could ever see. How many of us do that? How many of you have these conversations with your spouse and say, honey, you gotta check this out, babe? You know what, we're we're promoting deception and lies. 
and you're setting yourself up for failure, for dissatisfaction, and then you're holding up your partner on this uh, pedestal and level, and you think that because they are not measuring up to what you saw in the producer's cut, that you know what, this thing, sex, is really not such a beautiful thing. But it was a beautiful thing that God designed within the confines and, and context of marriage. It was to be enjoyed and grow and, and, and be something that truly gives you what porn does not, intimacy. God wants us to grow in intimacy. And if we are just allowing our hearts to worship at these idols and at these false thrones, then we will never be able to capture the beauty of what God designed. Take a look around the world. As idols of everything else is being lifted up in people's lives, look at how the beauty of God's plan is being distorted in society's eyes. Take the beauty of, of, of the rainbow, which is a promise to us that never again would God judge the world through water. That beautiful token and symbol that was supposed to be something of a reminder that gets our hearts worshiping to God every time it rains, but yet the sun is somewhat shining. Now it's become a symbol of debauchery and brokenness. And let me ask you this, guys. How many truly, if you go and you, you plumb and you search and you become honest and open, how many of those engaged in that lifestyle is truly, fully satisfied? There might be some that will argue and say, ah, but truly, when all the voices have died down and it's just them and their thoughts before the Father, how many are still searching to fill a void that's within here that the beauty of only God will be able to fulfill. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Not only that, but you get to see God in the sense that you get comfort by his grace. You get you know, deliverance in his name. You get direction in his name. When you work out this issue of purity within your heart, then you know what? You get to say what the psalmist said. You get to cry out to God in this way because you know what's behind it. He says in Psalms 25, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Turn to me. Because implied there, if God turns to you, that means that his eyes are on you. That he sees your plight and your issue and your worry. And because God, like Jesus, who saw the rich young ruler, said he loved him, he told him the truth. See, because we ask God to turn to us, he will see us with eyes of compassion and he will do something for us. Some of us were saying, you know, I don't know why people say they hear God. I don't hear God. You know, oh, God did this and God did that. It's kind of ticking me off. You know, these, these people, they're so super spiritual. And, and I don't know about my life. You know, God never did that for me. Well, maybe could it be that God is not showing up in your life in comfort, deliverance, and guidance because there's some impurities within here? The Bible tells us do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve him. There are things that we do, things that we bring into our lives that he says, you know what? Yeah, I don't really feel comfortable here. I, I'm going to go this way. Yes, there is no place that we can go that we can escape his presence. As David says in Psalms 139, 
There is no place that we will never that we will ever be that God is not able to reach into that space, that he is not aware of that space, you know, attentive to that space, you know, involved in that space. There, there is nothing like that. But yet we crowd out God and we push him out when we do not deal with the impurities of our heart. Are you facing a trial today? Are you going through some storm in your home? Is there a situation that all you need is just a glimpse of God? And friend, I invite you, purify your heart. Because one glance of God in that circumstance, everything changes. When Jesus was asleep in the boat and they're crying out, we're gonna die. It was just Jesus showing up on the, on, on the, you know, on the deck looking out and he says, hey, zip it, and everything changed. We want God to move in our lives, but we need to press in to purity. So I'm gonna invite the team to come on up, and this is gonna be very practical as we come to communion. Stand with me. How does God grow purity in our hearts? I I was tempted to give you a lot of practical application, but I'm gonna give you one today. How does purity grow in our hearts? Jesus promised that we would see God, that we would be allowed and permitted into his presence, that we would get to experience the glory of God, that we would be able to see his comfort shine through into our lives. How do we grow so that is our experience, that is the promise that we take for ourselves? Well, John 15, verses 1 and 3. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. But listen to verse three. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How do I grow in purity? How can I receive this blessing of seeing God in my life? I've already got the answer. I'm already clean through the word that he has spoken. God purifies our heart through this word. We can look into this book and there'd be a lot of principles, a lot of things that we could do in disciplines and activities and to grow and connect with him. Let me just give you one. Grow in this word. This word will bring you the conviction that is needed. Through this word, he convicts us. He puts his finger right on the impurity and the idol and the dishonesty. And he says, this has got to go. And not because you're broken, worthless, you know, pitiable and, and all that. No, because he wants us to experience fruit. When we read something in the Bible, when we, you know, hear something that somebody says that's, that's founded on the word, when we listen to a song even in the lyrics of gospel music that has scripture embedded in it, that thing reaches down deep in our hearts and it says, uh-uh, this has got to go. This thing right here is not sitting right. And in all those moments, it's God speaking to us. 
And he's telling us, look at this idol, pay attention. Take a look at this dishonesty. Why did you say it like that? Why did you do that? You know what, why are you pretending? How many of us, without making any visible response, just contemplate this in your mind, we could benefit from being more honest with our relationship with him, with our relationship with one another. The question just becomes, are we gonna receive this word? It's one thing for him to give it, but it's a whole other thing for us to receive it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to every heart right now, I know for sure. And if he's not, then your first ask, your first desire, your first request, Lord, speak to me. Like David, who says, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Renew a steadfast heart and a clean spirit within me, Father. Let that be your prayer. Are we going to receive what he's saying? Are we going to make excuses? But, but hey, pastor, I don't get drunk that often. It's only once in a while on holidays. Pastor, you know what? I, I'm not looking at the, the really bad porn. I'm looking at the educational porn to improve my performance with my spouse. But pastor, you know what? I, I was really, truly justified in my jealousy and my anger and my outburst at that person because, man, that person really did me wrong. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are those who have a reason for every activity. And so allow the impurities of your heart to remain. Father, I've sinned. But I pray that you would help me. Like David, to come after you and run after you and say, Lord, forgive me. Work in me. Fulfill in me. Work in my relationships. Church, it's not automatic. Conviction is not an automatic transformation. Just because it comes doesn't mean you're pure. Just like maturity doesn't always come with age. Some people show up late years of life and they got no maturity about them. It's not automatic. Accept the word and respond. You want to see God? You want to see him work in your life? Then close your eyes right now and say, Lord, search me. Wipe me clean. Help me. Let me be clean for you, Father. And I will obey your spirit as you lead me and speak to me.